Hello and welcome everyone to the Coffee and Quill podcast. I am your host, Casey Long, and joining me today, we have a pretty full house tonight. We have Matthew Salinas with us again, James Frendo, Chris Everhart, uh, Wyatt Sutherland is back with us. Wyatt, it has been a while. (laughs) And we have a new person with us she is part of the coalescence publishing team um e marie if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself uh hi everybody um i'm e marie uh, i'm the author of the queen's beast and hopefully soon to be author of uh a sequel to that series as well as many other collaborative works that are currently being worked on uh hi i'm awkward (laughs) (laughs) well that's welcome to the club yeah welcome to the club that's that's most of us here i feel like um so last week we talked about artificial intelligence and kind of what that means to writers publishers you know the the whole spiel so this episode we're going to kind of take a more in-depth look at the creative process, you know, artistic integrity, creative expression, stuff like that. And I think a good way to kind of segue into that is the impact of technology on creativity. So Guys, when when I talk about, you know, the impact of technology on creativity, how has technology impacted you guys? Well, I, for one, find that um, it's a double blade. It's a double edged sword where I can see an infinite amount of other people's works and thus be inspired by them but also am so bombarded by the sheer amount of it that I get easily distracted. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I was kind of going to say something similar, which is like, um, just like the, the way that the, the internet works. I mean, we're living in 2023. So everybody just kind of, you know, it's part of our cultural osmosis, um, to just understand that, essentially from birth, you're just inundated with everybody else's ideas, which um, can stimulate creativity, like Jane said, but it can also cause you to, um, to not know where your own uniqueness comes in and where it's somebody else, where, where it's coming from somebody else as well. Where's that line between me and the group? And that, and that's just a personal issue, right? Like just, for everybody across the board, therapy is like a huge industry right now. (laughs) Um, uh, But especially for like creatives and writers and stuff like that, it it can be kind of um, just sort of this process of trying to figure out where do I begin and somebody else ends and vice versa. Hmm. Okay. Well, I would, I would say that that is the struggle for the artist in general. Uh, Any artist is going to uh, copy their heroes 
at first and it takes a long time and a lot of work to find your individual voice. I think um, that the one of the problems that we have now is an overstimulation of our shame reflex when something we create is not respected and not, you know, um, not uh, received the way that we you know, had hoped. Um, that technology allows, like you said, James, more people to uh, allows everybody to uh, indulge in more uh, content, but at the same time, <laughs> that same uh, that same uh, technology allows a feedback loop that can be, you know, that can be harmful if you're not ready for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Matthew, what what about you? I feel like overall, I mean, it's technology, at least in my opinion, is best used when as a tool and not as a crutch. But I feel like at the same time, it's good to have so many different writing, I guess, processing ways as well as, you know, tools along the way to help with everything from content creation to grammar and everything in between. But at the same time, I feel that it's something that, you know, if you do become too reliant on, I feel like chances are it's going to take more and more, more and more away from, you know, your own personal touch on things, I guess, in a way. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely feel that. I, I feel like a lot of, well, I'm not going to say a lot. I feel like there's a lot of people these days that I've met at conventions that utilize things like, you know, like we said last last time we recorded, ChatGPT, Novel AI, you know, things like that, that, you know, in my opinion, those are great tools for like world building or fleshing out your thoughts more, you know, something like that. But to use it as a crutch to do all your writing for you um you know as writers we have to practice our work to perfect our work and i feel like if we use things as a crutch we definitely get into that issue matthew um do you guys think social media has had an influence on artistic expression and audience expectations. Well, uh, going back for like a second to the Mm -hmm. other topic first, all I wanted to add was, um, I'm not that great at world building, at least not solo world building. I'm, I'm okay at it when I have someone else to bounce ideas off back and forth, but for my own projects, I could write a whole novel and not tell, not be able to tell you a single thing about the world that it takes place in. <laughs> and honestly, like ever since like technology like AI has come out, I have I have used it to help me better world build. Like in the sense that it's not writing the story for me, but I, I I can use it to help me figure out what the the city it's taking place in, for example, might look like, or 
I can even help get it to help me figure out how to do an outline because you can even attest to this, Casey. I'm I don't even do outlines. I just write. <laughs> it is literally just slapping text to the wall. Mm-hmm. And with technology, I can better outline things and it gives me an idea of where I should take things or what certain things like certain chapters should be about. But I have to fill in the blanks around the context markers that it provides me. So that way it's still me. It's still me for doing like a majority of the thought process and the work that goes into it. I just have it to help me stay in an outline so that I don't go everywhere and get overwhelmed by myself and other outside sources that I might take inspiration from. And going into the social media out aspect of it, I do believe that social media does have some kind of play in what some authors or some content creators in general put out into the world because a lot of what content is based around nowadays is public opinion from what I've been seeing recently and uh, public opinion is I don't know. Well, uh, not so, the greatest <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, just to kind of chime in on that, uh, I really like what you were talking about um, with regard what you were just talking about with with regards to um, how it it helps you like flesh out the aspects that you're not necessarily um, that you're not necessarily good at thinking through, if that makes sense. Like not to say that you're not good, but um, just those weak spots that you have, that we all have. Yeah. Using AI to kind of fill in those blanks. And I think that that, that in and of itself kind of addresses Casey's question about how, how does social media affect both the writer's expectations and the reader's expectations about themselves, right? And as well as a, about a work, because um, uh, a lot of a lot of books and that came out of like a pre-internet era. Uh, if if an author didn't want to write a fully fleshed out city with a fully fle- like that that with all these details about it and stuff like that, they just wouldn't write it. Um, and and so that that comes from that kind of expectation of the world is going to be fully fleshed out and there's going to be all these rules. And there's, it's, it's almost kind of like, it reminds me of like the trend in gaming towards open world games. It's like prior to this trend, uh, there, there were, uh, open world games that did that. And then there were games that were not open world. And now, now everything has to be open world because it's part of the player. It's part of the audience expectation for the genre. Um, it's grown into this sign of cut, kind of ubiquity which i think with regards to to writing fiction books um having a having a robustly fleshed out world with all of these details that readers can like dig into and fanfic about um actually kind of 
has become something that wasn't always ubiquitous and now it is. Mm -hmm. So, so that's where, like you were talking about, uh, um, uh, Emery, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is it okay if I, uh, we can, we can edit this out, but is it okay if I say Erica? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. It's fine. Okay, cool. Um, um, so yeah, like what Erica was talking about, where the AI fills in those gaps. Well, it used to be if you had a gap, you just you didn't try to fill it in. <laughs> you mm -hmm. just rode around it. <laughs> you you know, I feel like you know, going, you know, with the whole expectation from you know, social media and stuff like that. Um I feel like we need to look at the success of like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, you know, those big big works and their success and now readers have this expectation to have these highly immersive worlds in order to captivate them right and i feel like that is something that as writers we're influenced by at least you know for myself personally i I want to write immersive worlds. I want to write this big compendium with all this lore for this city, you know, all these nations, factions, what have you, because I feel like that is something that is almost expected of me as a fantasy author. Can I add something a little bit? Uh, yeah. And uh, we don't have to touch like a lot on this topic. This can be a topic for another day because it is a deep topic in my opinion. But I think also, like, I agree with you. A lot of like, for my writings, I like a deep lore. Even though I'm not that great at it, I like a really deep lore that people can immerse themselves into. But I think a lot of the reason behind why even authors expect it of themselves and the public expect it from many forms of art, whether it's literature, painting, drawing, or video games, or even movies. I think the main reason why a lot of people expect such a deep lore is I think for a lot of people, the concept of imagination is dying. Hmm. That we're like somehow maybe not maybe I mean I kind of get maybe where you're coming from let me see if I can uh, if you agree with this wording or not uh, maybe not so much dying as much as like um, it requires more complexity for people to get invested like people will have a tendency to um, if, if a world or if a story is not fully fleshed out, they'll have a tendency to see it as less imaginative, even if that's not necessarily the case. Or that um, seeing as, to be fair, the market is so oversaturated with thousands of sources of fantasy content, unless you have something nailed down to every last detail, right. you something as an author kind of feel down. unoriginal. Well, but... I also think as mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit of both those things, but also in the concept that actually imagination is literally fizzling out in 
a majority of the population in the sense that a lot of people are too stressed out to think of things like that anymore or to immerse themselves into reading or uh, media or things like that. Like, I'm, I mean it like in a general, almost literal sense of the word. Let me let me chip in here with something. So I think Casey's been trying to say something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, yeah let <laughs> me sorry. chip in with something here. So I think I, I get what you're saying, Erica. And here's something I want you, you know, to kind of think about. So let's look at the 1800s. Okay, I feel like books and stuff like that didn't really need to be as imaginative and robust and all this stuff back then because those were obviously simpler times nowadays i feel like people you know they have games like elden ring you know they have open world games movies that look real you know that portray these high fantasy environments do do we think imagination is dying or do we think the level like do we think there's an overexposure of things now in what used to be considered like holy shit this is amazing to eh that's just like any other you know George R. R. Martin book now you kind of see what, what I'm getting at with it so what, like more like has? imagination Imagination is evolving and it's getting harder to keep up with it. Basically. Yeah, let's uh let's like Chris and Matthew chip in here. I feel like we've just been kind of just talking without them. No, I'm no, sorry. that's all good. <laughs> well, for one thing, I was gonna say strictly from like the social media aspect, I feel like there's such a heavy reliance and movement towards, you know, social media platforms to not only promote and market your books, but also as to kind of be able to establish some type of worth. Because I know there's a lot of people out there who won't even consider authors for things unless they have, you know, a large social media presence, lots lots of followers across multiple platforms. And that they're coming out with, you know, in and of itself, I feel almost dedicating as much time as you could be to writing and everything else to not only promoting yourself, but then coming up with, you know, like original videos or being interactive with people across all those social media platforms. And it, it takes, it takes a lot out of you. Yeah. Um, it can. Um, but as, uh, as you guys have been talking about fantasy in particular, I looked up, um, the first uh, publication date of uh, Song of Ice and Fire was 1991, right? That was before social, long before social media, mm-hmm. right? Um, I also know that uh, Wyatt is especially um, familiar with the Conan compendium. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we about- <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know when the first when the first Conan book came out. 1932. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so I I do believe that um that there has always been a subsection of a subsection of a subsection of people 
who want to write and create stories. And that what that means is that there's a whole huge part of the population that does not want to do that, right? Uh, I think that what we're seeing is we're kind of seeing it from the inside now that we're all writers, you know? Um, whereas at one point in my life, I would, if you'd have told me I was going to write a book one day, I would have said, you're crazy, you know, but now that I'm a writer, of course it's, oh, well, it's easy to write a book. You just do this, this, and this, <laughs> right? So, uh, so there are those of us who have always been in the position to imagine things and to, uh, put them out for other people to see and enjoy. Um, I just, I don't, I don't think that, and by the way, you know, I grew up in the seventies and eighties when everybody was saying that, oh, television is just destroying the imagination of the, of the population and kids don't have to think anymore. They just see everything on television, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, you know, it's kind of the same, you know, the same song, right. so to speak, just a, a different technology now. So uh, I, I really like that point, too, because I've been thinking as we've been talking is like, um, you know, the idea of using AI, like like you talked about last week with regards to, to AI writing and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm aware that Chris has been doing an experiment with that. Oh, oh God. Um, <laughs> uh, but but. Like Chris just said, it's like with each new jump in technology, with each new big thing that seems to affect um, sort of the vague notion of creativity. You know, creativity can be um, using burnt sticks to draw a picture on a wall. Uh, creativity can be telling stories around a fire. And then creativity can be writing books, audiobooks, TV. Like creativity is a part of the human experience. And it's not like it's ever going to necessarily go away. Um, uh, that's why I was trying to, trying to figure out like maybe a different wording for like imagination dying, because what I definitely agree that like people um, to just like the social structures of today uh, put so much stress on people that there is going, there are going to be um there are fewer opportunities to break into the business, especially if you don't have like what uh, Matthew was talking about uh, with regards to the skill set of a social media platform. Like I suck at doing anything social media. Um, and so for me, that's really, that's a really difficult thing to see. Like I, I'm on, you know, I'll be scrolling through Instagram reels or whatever, because I don't have a TikTok. Um, I'll be scrolling through Instagram reels and I'll see all these people in their writer profiles and they're doing like full on like original cosplays based on their own characters from their books and, and all of this stuff. That's a skill set that I don't have. Um, I could, I could get it if I really like dug down deep and, and really tried to learn it, but it, it's also just not something that I'm necessarily interested in doing. And what I think is happening it's kind of like what Chris talked about with TV, where there is a new style, like a new, um, not even like a genre, but like a medium of, of creative fiction that's coming out of 
AI that's coming out of social media, that's coming out of like um, TikTok. When I say short content, I mean like TikTok short, not necessarily like short fiction. Um, it's 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 new. It it is innovative, and it in some ways threatens could threaten the way that that someone like me operates, which is just basically you know strictly writing words, putting words on a page. But at the same time, um, we still have books. We still have books and people, there are still many, many people who enjoy reading books over watching TV or playing video games. And so we have to imagine that um, with all the new innovations and all the new kind of wild technologies that are jumping up and they're just, they're jumping up so fast that it's kind of difficult to keep pace. Uh, it's it's kind of almost anxiety-inducing how how quickly new things pop up. But at the same time, um, like Casey said, or not Casey, uh, Chris, like Chris said, we are looking at it from the inside of a very specific uh, angle of creativity. So it's 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 easy to freak out, but but we we should see it as new forms of storytelling. I wonder, uh, Erica, do you, are, uh, are you, when you think about the sort of, you know, quote, death of the imagination, are you thinking of an imagination deficit in current society? Is that what you're, that kind of what you're thinking about? I, maybe I, I, I worded it incorrectly, but I guess it's just more along the lines of like, I don't see, you don't, back when I was uh, in high school, almost everyone had their hands in like a book, whether it was Harry Potter, the Twilight Saga, uh, Aragon, Game of Thrones, or uh, whatever the actual books are actually called. I never read them. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Uh, I the, the the Iron Throne stuff. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, back when I was in school, everyone had their hands in something creative, like even fan fiction. I knew people that were making fan fictions of their favorite animes, literally back when Naruto was a new thing on TV. People yeah, were creating like their own like Naruto family fan fictions before Boruto was a thing back then. You don't hear about things like that anymore, and I think that's what I mean. Like the the inspiration has grown and seemed to have gone in a different direction that is harder for a lot of people to keep up with or to aspire to put their inspiration into writing so, or like yeah so it's sort like of it's an said, yeah. sort of an analysis paralysis you know too much information or too much input kind of freezes you yeah it stunted the growth yeah growth mm. yeah mm -hmm. as someone who uh went through a more recent version of the school system um <laughs> I can also say that the school system has not been a help in that. Um, 
my experience is that, like, yes, while some, some like, small avenues have encouraged creativity, a lot of the modern day school system is still hell bent on cracking down on people breaking the mold. Uh, like, yes, you can do creative writing, but it has to follow guidelines or it has to be on very specific subjects. And if you don't do these things that are very much uncreative and they still label as creativity, then it's, you get negative feedback. Mm. So, uh, I, I really like this idea that we're going over right now because it hints at something that I have, have been experiencing, um, for those who don't know, uh, I have been kind of experimenting with going back to college. <laughs> I wouldn't even, I never, I was never necessarily like absolutely committed to the idea of getting a, a degree 100% in creative writing. That being said, I just wanted to see what, what the university system had to give me, you know, like I wanted to, I wanted to go in and I, my goal was to get professional feedback, right? Like to get into the rooms of professors uh, who, in order to be a professor in a creative writing program, at least as far as I understand it, you have to at least be uh, traditionally published once. Uh, Chris, you might know, Chris and Casey might know a little bit more than that about that process than me. Um, but beware experts. yeah well what i experienced was that um and and kind of like something that going back to college has shown me is that there is a sense of homogenization uh there is a sense of these are the things that are successful uh and like they're they're putting this in your face like i had to for a creative writing class one of uh one of my creative writing class it was a 300 level class you know, like a junior level class. And we wrote nothing. Uh, each student only had to write one nine page piece. And then we would group workshop it. And the rest of the class was reading Stephen King's on writing. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you I... see where I'm going with that? There's, there is a, a homogenization where there's like, let's, let's find all the people who make the most money and then we'll put, put that. And then maybe more writers will be successful. And it's like these, these people were successful because they just were themselves. Like they just did themselves. They did what they wanted to do. And like you said, with, with George R. R. Martin being in 19, uh, publishing in 1991 um, prior to the internet, it's like, we, but nobody knew about George R. R. Martin before Game of Thrones, right? And, and like, well, not necessarily. I don't. Uh, right. You, that, I was, I was about to walk that back. Study. Yeah, um, I was about to walk that back. I'm sure yeah. there were people that knew about him, but like the mains, but the 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 attention that George R. R. Martin gets as like this mainstream, uber successful writer that all fantasy writers and and then should be paying attention to, and then. Uh, the subsequent sort of homogenization. And now we see pretty much every, almost every fantasy work uh, that's, that's like making money on the market is a noun of noun and noun. Mm -hmm. That's, that's that homogenization that I'm talking about, right? That that I feel like we're kind of talking about and, and maybe even kind of branching into what you're, what Erica is talking about with regards to like the, the death of imagination. 
So um, as it's it's a, a homogenization of the imagination. It's a, it's a hijacking of those unique elements and and telling people um, that you have to, in order to make a living, you have to do these things. And and just the fact that making a living is so life or death uh, is 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 frightening. So when a young writer, when a when a new writer is breaking into the the scene, or is trying to break into the scene, and is trying to figure out what their individual style is, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's there's no B list anymore, right? There's there's no like semi success anymore. You're either making money, living, or not. Would you say that that's wrong or right? Well, I, I don't agree with that. I think it's a better time now to be a writer than ever because you can, uh, uh, well, for example, on my adventure into uh, AI writing, uh, first of all, as Erica mentioned, it does not do the work for you. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, but they, uh, they're, uh, I was looking, that's a whole other episode probably, but the woman who does the teaching for Sudorite, S-U-D-O-W-R-I-T-E, which is a front end specifically for fiction writers that uses OpenAI, which is what ChatGTP is a front end for, right? She writes and publishes, um, uh, who wrote Pride and Prejudice? Um, not Bronte, but uh, Jane, Austen. Jane Austen. She writes... Jane Austen fan fiction exclusively. And she makes a living at it. So that niche probably doesn't exist if there's not a way to get it directly to the audience. Because what she said was there was a major publisher who was publishing Jane Austen fan fiction but they stopped doing it and she stepped into that gap, which was, she was able to do through the technology that we have today. Now, if that's not, a, if Jane Austen fan fiction isn't a niche, that's a niche of a niche of a niche, right? Um, I don't know what is. So um, the, the fact that we have the technology allows us to either serve a specific market or write specifically what we want to write and then try to find an audience for it. It's a better better opportunity to connect than ever. Because I'll tell you, when I started writing in 1999, 2000, it was a completely different world. There was no uh, online books. There was no Kindle or anything. You had to go through the process of getting an agent, and then your agent had to try to get a publisher for you, and yada, yada, yada. And a lot of work just fell through the cracks. And one thing I want to add on to what Chris kind of said, um, and Wyatt, I'm in no means, you know, trashing your idea. I get what you're saying. It's, you know, we tend to have this idea, like, in order for me to be this successful author, I need to sell hundreds of thousands of copies of my book. I need to be this New York Times bestseller because Mm -hmm. that is you know, what professors, what (laughs) other people, right, tend to tell us. But Chris brought forward, you know, this group. Um, Chris, 
thousand loyal fans. Yeah, the know? Kevin Kelly that's, article. That's, a thousand yeah. true fans. That's all it takes is a thousand fans. And, you know, I feel like success is a very subjective term as well. Like, for example, we met with an author literally the other night that we're probably going to onboard. Spoiler alert, Elijah, if you're listening to this. Um, (laughs) And Matthew can attest to this, as can James. This is a guy who, to him, success does not mean money. Success does not mean making, you know, all these sales or anything like that. Success to him is being able to hand a hardcover book to his father. You know, and I I think that's just amazing to me. I mean, that's all nice. That's all good and well. Uh, until you don't have food on the table. <laughs> yeah, I need to make a living, bro. Don't be giving it all away, Casey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, like I guess that's kind of like one thing that I was trying to I was trying to say with regards to like that idea of of success. That I guess you're right. Like you're right, Casey, to a certain degree. Like success for for some people is not always money, but um, for th- for those people who like need money. You know, I would love to not work a day job anymore. I mean, that would be fantastic in order to just like pay rent and live. So it's like, where do you draw those lines? I guess. Is, you're, I, you're I guess right, I Casey. see. I guess I see that point too. Um, I keep forgetting <laughs> money. I keep forgetting that there's poor people. <laughs> um, you know, as a poor person who regularly goes without food in their home. Uh, I can say that even though you struggle, the concept of just being happy over something as simple as handing a hardback cover to your father or just being happy that if at least one person buys your book, like, I don't know. I, I don't see a problem in that. Like I see where, where cool like, for I, you. See, I see it's both cool sides of it. I see both sides of it, but at the same time, like I don't know. I get what what I almost said riot. Why you should change your name to riot? Um, I'm kidding. So uh, yes, I, that, that's when he starts r- repercussions. Yeah, when he starts writing pro wrestling fan fiction, which is a thing, <laughs> uh, he can call himself riot. Ryan um, Savage, the riot in the house, spelled with spelled with uh, a C instead of an S. I think, I think the line comes down to whether you want to be a hobby writer or a career writer. You know, yeah. Um, if I may interject, yeah, I think another big point is the sort of mainstream villainization of like fan fiction like a lot of companies and creators have in recent years come down hard uh, on protecting I'm, their copyright i'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna, gonna name names real but... quick. i'm gonna interrupt you real quick on that all we need to do is look at 50 shades of gray and twilight yes but those That's are all i'm gonna say. older like those are before um, when I say recent years, I mean the last ten years in specific. Well, because look at 
Yeah, Look at what Chris said earlier about the Jane Austen fanfic. I mean, this is oh, a uh, Jane Austen is public domain now. She's long dead. Right. Exactly. I was about to talk. That's what I was about to say is because I kind of get where where James is coming from. Because um, I'm not. It, there is like a sort of stigma. I mean, that stigma towards like fan fiction writers. It's still there. It's kind of going back and forth on whether we can decide whether fan fiction is art or not. <laughs> I, I would say that it is. Um, but I think that one thing that James is talking about is the fact that, um, that, that many properties that kind of become formative works for us to draw from in our kind of collective unconscious are becoming privatized. Like the, the way that the public don't like Disney, let's just say it right. Disney, uh, loves to take public domain uh, things out of the public domain, make a make a movie out of it, uh, and then all of a sudden, like barely, you 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 have to like bend over backwards to try to make anything that you write about any sort of public domain idea uh, so different from what Disney wrote uh, oh. that that it's um, basically indistinguishable. Which oh, is a that's 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 pretty crazy. That's a that's a crazy. Um, occurrence that's happening with these big huge sort of media conglomerates basically erasing the public domain or or trying their damnedest to not to make the mouse mad at us oh yeah i was about to say i don't need a a lawyer wearing mouse ears to kick in my door tomorrow it's just free club publicity for them guys like they're not (laughs) they're not gonna come after little local so on that note i I was this is gonna be totally yes james I was just going to add also, uh, like, the court of public opinion on fan fiction is also a thing. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard in conversation, seen online, like, people just, like, they see the word fan fiction and immediately the hate train begins. Like, they just, um, like, fan fiction, if well written, can be fan, <laughs> fantastic. Um, but, like, people immediately write off all fan fiction as uh, just some dude sitting in a basement uploading literal just sort of word swill. Because that's what it is a lot of the time. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. In my experience with fan fiction, a lot of people just automatically go to smut. Yeah, that too. Can, can I interject real quick? So... One thing I have, um, since we're on the topic of fanfic, so are you guys, obviously you guys are aware of the Lord of the Rings, right? Oh my god, I know what you're talking about. Oh, no, not the Sue. Here we go. (laughs) Not the the Sue. The, okay, so for all intents and purposes, I won't say the name of it or the author, but there's this person who is currently suing Amazon and the Tolkien estate because they are saying that Amazon and the Tolkien estate basically infringed on their copyright. But the thing that they made is a direct, (laughs) it is almost a direct ripoff of the Lord of the Rings. This is, this is actually um, I, this this occurrence has lived rent lived 
rent free in my head for at least a month now. Oh yeah. Um, or whenever it came out. And what I have figured out is that it's actually a pretty common occurrence for somebody to hear the release date of like a TV, a big, big name TV show um, from a huge studio. And then to quickly like drum up a fan fiction and then say that they ripped off the fan fiction. The so it, thing. It, it's actually kind of a strategy um, that that's being employed recently. And it, it, it is an interesting conversation to have. Cause it's like, like I was like, like I brought up earlier where it's like um, we're trying to decide on whether fan fiction is legitimate art or not. Like I say that it is legitimate art, but at the same time, um, how does that relate to copyright issues? And, and so far fan fiction has, doesn't have any right, doesn't have any copyrights. Right. May I, uh, may I interject here? A For little sure. Bit. Yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly, I read this article I'm pretty sure the dude even stated that he took the transcript of his whole fan fiction to whoever was in charge. Like, I think someone at the Tolkien. The, the grandson. Tolkien's yeah. grandson. Yeah, yeah, he took it over to them and, like, left a copy of Mark stamp on the thing and everything. Like, he wanted to, like, be a, like, to give them the idea, like, but to be, like, paid, like, compensated for it. And I guess through his, what he said, uh, they basically never got back in touch with him and stole the idea from his fan fiction for the show on Mm. Amazon. So I feel like, yes, in a way you're right, that fan fiction can't, or at least... If it's not public domain failing fiction type fan fiction, right? That's it. Can't can't be monetized, mm-hmm. right? However, if you work together with the original creator and the original creator agrees, or to the your estate work, or whoever owns that copyright, whoever owns now. it can you know then choose to compensate you for whatever, right? I don't think it's right still to steal an idea even from a fan fiction. At least give credit if you're not willing to give compensation. If it actually happened. I'm not agreeing that this actually happened. This is all alleged. We don't know. It's all hearsay. Allegedly. (laughs) All that legal mumbo jumbo, whatever. But all I'm saying is that even if a big time company say like Netflix or whatever as an example stole an idea of a like fan fiction that was used in public domain or whatever even and didn't even give credit where credit was due i feel like that would be a problem yes if Does that make sense if it's public domain yes um, but if the if the original copyright is not has not run out yet, now you know uh, uh, ethically would one <laughs> feel like oh yeah I probably should give so and so credit yes but legally they don't have to if you know if the copyright if the copyright is still active 
I feel like right now that's a gray area because intellectual property is still a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's that's kind of the issue. That's kind of the issue is that is like the mental gymnastics of like, well, what belongs to who and where's who the estate and if it's public who domain had the or not. Idea first. Like that's it's, all very important. Right. Like and 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 it's so it's so it's it like what I have seen and what I have kind of what has affected my viewpoint on like a lot of these issues is, is just the, the mental gymnastics of like copyright law. There's a great, um, uh, during the whole, I don't know, D and D OGL, uh, fiasco, which I'm sure most of us heard about. Um, then, uh, there was, there's a YouTuber named legal Eagle who did a whole video talking about copyright law and, and like the cop copyright laws are like, so down specific down to things like uh expression the specific expression of an idea so technically the ogl was never in question or could not have ever been in question but let's not get into that the point is that um there there's a lot of like mental gymnastics over like who belongs where it belongs why is it like who can do what with what um and at my opinion is that uh, things should go into the public domain a lot earlier than they, than they are. Um, for instance, uh, Tolkien's work, not in the public domain. Um, correct. 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 As far mm-hmm. as I'm aware. Yeah. Tolkien's work, not in the public domain yet. Tolkien's work is the seminal work of modern fiction. Like it, it, it literally gave birth to uh to modern fiction in a in a big big way uh and so it's like at what point do you decide that something was so seminal to the cultural unconscious that it should be public domain and also can we move to have something put into the public domain early when that gets into like the harry potter stuff right like can the public move to have a work taken essentially right from from the author uh and put into the public domain if it's deemed to be so seminal to the public unconscious that's probably a whole episode in itself. <laughs> yeah i don't i don't necessarily agree with that um uh, by the way you can write as much as much fan fiction as you want based on characters and situations created by anybody, you just can't sell it. Right. Yeah. Right. You just, you will never make any money. Off yeah. Of it. Well, and also the, the, the basic thing about, uh, you know, being an artist is that you, you're putting out something that is, you know, original, right. That doesn't mean you can't take inspiration from Tolkien or, or anybody Ideally. else. Well, that's your job as a, as a, as an artist, as a writer, you know, is I don't have to, I don't deny that, that Tolkien ever wrote, you know, uh, the Lord of the Rings, but to rewrite or to write something in that universe with those characters, that's a little, eh, you know, the guy who supposedly took his manuscript up to Tolkien's grandson himself you know, yeah, you know, come on guy, <laughs> you know, put it, put, put some creativity on that overall idea. Right. You know, 
rethink it, reimagine it. At least rename some stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, there's doing blatant fanfic, and then there's doing fanfiction in a way where it... Like, where do we draw the line between fanfiction that blatantly rips apart the copyright and all that stuff and fan fiction to the point where we can be like, okay, now this is original, you know, um, example, let's say Chris here writes a book. He spends, you know, 50 years of his life putting together this vast world for it. And I come in and I'm like, Hell yeah, I like that. And there's two characters that Chris, for some reason, I don't know why, he didn't write any lore for them. He did not make them romance each other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, you know what? They they would be a great couple. Or you know what? I'm going to have this story happen with them. I create a whole nother continent that they go to. I create a whole backstory for them. I build off of the two characters that Chris originally created, but I added my own depth of creativity to it. At that point, is my stuff ethical, like ethically created, or am I still infringing on Chris's? But content? you just said you created a new setting. The only thing you transfer, you transfer, you you, you were inspired by the characters, right? But you moved them somewhere else, having different adventures yeah. and situations, mm-hmm. right? Well, all you got to do is rename them, because unless you're copying well, text, you know, directly from, uh, I mean, well, just look at all the stuff that we have today, speaking of technology, all the stuff we have access to, the entertainment that we have access to, where you watch it or you read it and you go, oh, shit, this is just like that, that series I watched two years ago. Right, different names, different place, slightly different this and that, right? Um, That, I believe, is a legitimate thing. Is it a little bit lazy? Like Erica was saying, you know, it's a lot of, you know, uh, um, or Wyatt and Erica kind of saying that what, you know, the imagination being sort of crowded out of a uh, of the market because the market demands certain things right so you can look at a lot of things and go wow that was kind of lazy writing or that producer was kind of lazy putting this project together because it's just like blah 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 but just different names in a different state and you know (laughs) in a different time frame so writing so would you consider writing to market being within that same, you know, area? Because writing to market, at least with fantasy, you're doing the classic hero's journey. You're doing, you know, the 17 or 18 stages or whatever where, you know, there's this hero, there's this evil whatever, there's a story and it's literally the exact same thing. Maybe a, a different world, maybe a different kingdom or whatever, but it's the same trope. It's the same story outcome where the hero saves the world and he or she gets the person that they love and they live happily ever after. So would, 
can I uh, yeah. put in on the, on that? First off, that that is a good question because what we're asking right now is like what it where is the line between archetype what you're mm-hmm. talking about with regards to like the hero's journey and stuff like that archetypal storytelling uh derivative storytelling like what chris was saying where it's like you you have you were inspired by this thing but then you just renamed renamed it and then put it in its own world and had its own original adventures that might be like called derivative um and then you have uh, elite. Like, where are, where are those three lines? <laughs> where are those? Where am I? Where where is the line between derivative and Look, stealing? I'll, I'll give you guys an idea. example, and this ha- this happens all the time in the film world. Um, I happen to know the guy who wrote the first, who wrote the script, the original script for a movie called Tin Cup, which starred Kevin Costner. It came out twenty some years ago, um, and uh, it's it's about you know he's a golfer, right? And the log line is what they call it. They, the log line was Rocky on a golf course, right? That kind of thing happens all the time in screenwriting and in producing uh, media. So if I, if I love a certain genre, speaking of writing the market, and I want to write in that genre, um, there, in a sense, there are no new plots, right? I mean, if you've read one detective fiction novel, you've read them all, in a sense, right? Um, so I'm going to take, uh, oh, okay, how about this? How about if I do Game of Thrones in a police station, right? So I take all the politics right. and all the... Yeah. All the uh, physicality and the plot lines and stuff from game of thrones and instead i put it in a police station well now just changing the setting right into a different world requires that i rethink and reimagine all of those elements so that it fits in a police station right that is that is maybe that's derivative but it is not illegal (laughs) right so, right. and, and, yeah. and there's, you know, there's like, I mean, I've got a book called 20 Master Plots, uh, which means that, you know, somebody decided that there were 20, basically 20 plots. <laughs> and everybody uses these plots, right? Um, and there's always this, this idea of what different story combinations are. So, um, uh, you know, being inspired by, or wanting to write in a genre is not the same as trying to sell something that is a direct copy of someone else's characters and situation. You see it. You see it a lot. You based on characters and situations created by blah blah blah. Right. That means that it's in that person's world. It's that person's character. But all of us are going to write something that is like something else. And there's nothing wrong with that. So let's imagine, let's imagine a universe in which uh, somebody does the same thing that Chris just said, where they imagine and say, uh, what if Game of Thrones meets the Hunger Games uh, on an island surrounded by mist? Yeah, I think they call that Lord <laughs> um, of the Flies. <laughs> well, I think I they called it Lightlark is what well, they called it. 
Um, so, so <laughs> I think they called it light lark is what they called it. And like thousands of dollars already has a movie deal. And, and that kind of all circles back to the idea of like social media and, and technology and, and the relationship between different works of fiction. And it's like, I have seen a lot of people totally jump light lark's case and the author's case, but those guys are just dicks. Yeah, um, while he laughs all the way to the bank, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, they've jumped these people's this this book's case and the author's case because um, they're like, oh, it's so derivative, and then they'll they'll say things like, oh, the world's not fleshed out, blah blah blah, and I'm like, this is like a 20 year old person who has not had yet the opportunity to figure out what their own style is, and they're being scrutinized on a global scale <laughs> for because they're popular on TikTok. That that in in that that is where I start to think about the the negative relationship between art and creatives and the modern like social media internet landscape of just how we live our lives chronically online for some people, not all people, but like progressively we're more and more online as, as the world just basically pushes us to be uh, where our entire lives is just continually become concentrated in virtual spaces. And it's like, yeah, I don't think light Lark's a good book, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, can I judge this person for writing a bad book when it's their first book? No. And it's like, how, like, how do people justify um, being so aggressive about things like this? And, and, and just, and it doesn't surprise me that people are so scared, right. uh, Of putting themselves out there. It doesn't surprise me that people will, that really good writers would prefer to write on AO3 archive of our own, um, really good writers would prefer to write on AO3 rather than trying to go to a publishing studio, whether it's traditional, whether it's small press, or whether they're trying to independently publish. Um, it doesn't surprise me that people are, are, are worried to do that because you you see someone like Lightlark. You you see you see a book like Lightlark and the author, and you see how they're treated. And it's you. There's created like in our cultural consciousness, sort of like false dichotomy between total failure, you never make any sale, and no one ever knows your name, and absolute success. And that's kind of like what I was trying to talk about earlier, um, where it, it's not a real dichotomy. It's not real that you can't find success as an author, but that's the. That's the idea, the notion that's kind of being pushed and buried into a lot of new writers. Well, now you're getting into the psychology of the writer, and that's a whole episode on its own. (laughs) I think we've already done multiple episodes. (laughs) We've already done multiple episodes. Because I just graduated with my degree in psychology. Uh So, us. Uh, maybe one episode. I'll, I'll share the secrets of yeah. the mind with you all. Um, 
we've been running for about an hour. I think this is honestly a good stopping point. Poor Matthew over there. I, we might need to get the cobwebs off of him. We'll, we'll just give him his whole his own episode. <laughs> Matthew will just yeah, like yeah. have a whole episode to himself. Here's my all my responses that I wanted to say the whole time, and they just kept <laughs> talking over me. Uh, I mean, I do definitely have some points and comments to make, so I'm I'm ready whenever. <laughs> well, uh, let's let's do it real quick. I mean, all right, I'm, all right. I'm down if you guys yeah. are. I mean, hell. Well, to tie it back all the way back to the uh, fizzling okay, of the event. we're done recording, guys. I'm kidding. Go oh, on. man. Come on. Don't do that to me. My, Matthew about to mic drop on all of us. Right? <laughs> so anyway, to dial it back to the whole fizzling of the imagination, I feel like it's a double-aspected thing, both in the world of being a creator, because to build off of kind of what we were talking about, it's taking the amount of imagination and creativity you could put towards doing one task and now simultaneously have to doing, you know, four, five, six, however many different creative tasks through all these different avenues. And it's definitely a strain both on an aspect of your time and being able to, you know, put out quality effort work as well as the time that you can spend thinking of original content for your own original stories, because now you've got original content you've got to make for all these other things. And then on the flip side of that, as a consumer or as somebody who, you know, is perusing these social media avenues, you have to deal with so much saturation of the market of everybody's stories and everybody's things. And if things at least from my perspective, from what I've seen from a lot of people, if things don't exactly coincide with something that's either a big deal or that has a big social media presence or following, it's a lot less likely to get picked up. And then at the same time too, you know, it's the amount of actual information I feel shared and things like that gets smaller and smaller to where unless you've got something that immediately grabs somebody's attention right off the bat, then you're most likely not even going to be seen or put on the radar at all. Well, in getting back to the whole idea of technology and creativity, I told uh, Casey that I, I missed out on the ebook revolution with Kindle for whatever reason. I was writing at that time, but for, I just I I wasn't ready, you know, as a person or as a writer to put it out there. And I am not going to miss out on the AI shift. So I'm I'm diving in. But again, it doesn't do the work for you, but it's like having a, uh, as one person puts it, a junior writer who is a collaborator with you. And uh, you're still responsible for the creativity, but you've got a, an, you've got a partner there who can help organize, help brainstorm, help make a suggestion um, if you're stuck on something or like, like Erica said, uh, help you build a world, which is, you know, might be a weakness for you. Um, and, uh, like I said, last week on the show is I, 40 years ago, I heard a, uh, a, um, uh, interview with, uh, Joseph Wamba, who was a big sixties, seventies, eighties crime writer. And somebody asked him if he thought that using a word processor or a PC made him a better writer. And he said, yeah, because when I had to type everything out, I wouldn't go back and fix something. 
I can if but if I'm using you know Microsoft Word or a word processor, it's a lot easier to go back and fix something that that wasn't quite right. So you know the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I'm not missing out on this opportunity that's in front of us. You know what I wish I had? I wish I don't need an AI to write books for me or to write worlds for me. This is just me. I'm not talking about it for anybody else, but I wish that I had an AI social media manager. That's what I want. I want an AI to, to just make TikToks for me and make Instagram posts for me on my author profile and stuff like that so that I don't have to do all that. Uh, because I, I, I'm terrible at it. That it's like we're talking about a, like technology filling in the weaknesses of the individual. Well, that's my weakness, and I just that's what I need is, is an AI to to do all the all the marketing things uh, well, that that seemingly give people success. Let's uh, do a quick experiment with that while we're here. Let me get ChatGPT pulled up. <laughs> and by the way, why all that so stuff you just said, that's why I signed with Coalescence. Because <laughs> they said, you know, the, Casey and the guys said that yeah. that is what they were willing to or interested in doing. I, and I, I have learned that I can't do it all on my own. You know, it's just too, I'm not yeah. in that headspace with and, social media either. And even with us, it's a struggle, you know, still because the algorithms for social media is ever changing. And what may work this week does not work next week. That's and why you have to have an AI do it, Casey, because the well, AI, you know, like the someone, AI. Someone we pit them clear. against each other and they never try to kill us. <laughs> And you know, someone broke Twitter. <coughs> Not naming names. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see here. Why? Who broke Twitter? I'm yeah, the guy who bought it for 40 some mil- billion dollars. Oh. <laughs> we don't My name bad. names. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> I-, I didn't get that. Is it just me or is it smelling a little musky in here? I. I But, you know, having, you know, and uh, Erica, it sounds like you've been working with AI um, quite a bit. Um, and I love what you said earlier um, that, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it has that potential not to do the work for you, but to enable you to do more work. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like. I I'm working on a sequel to The Queen's Beast and I'm str- like I was struggling with okay, what am I going to do with the plot of this book? And outlines aren't something I'm great at, but it's something Casey encourages me to try to do. And I don't know why, but my brain just can't process the idea of an outline. And ChatGPT can process an outline. Mm-hmm. And when I visually see the outline in front of me, I can be like, okay, these are some cool ideas. Now I can work around them and take out and put in things that I like or take out things that I don't mm-hmm. like. Right. Plotting is one of so the I'm hardest so cool. tasks that we as writers have. 
Oh, for sure. And my lizard brain just can't comprehend right. it. But what I feel like, yeah, and I, and I actually feel more excited about the ne- my next steps too, because knowing that there is a, a tool that can help me uh, in a more um, uh, dynamic way really excites me. And uh, one of the things that this teacher on PseudoWrite said, she, she said, how many of you have more ideas than you have time to write? And she said, that's what helped her specifically with using AI and using PseudoWrite in particular is that in one year, she got nine books out. And she said, that's the year that she made $50,000 just from her books and she was able to go full time. And again, Jane Austen fan fiction. <laughs> well, let me tell you um, something. I'll sell out. Oh, I'll me sell too. Out right now. If, it, <laughs> if, makes if anybody can buy it, I can't sell it and <laughs> buy it. That's the problem. <laughs> so I will. I'll. I'll give Roko's basilisk, basilisk my soul if it means that I get fifty thousand dollars a year <laughs> off my books. <laughs> so Wyatt, I put a short prompt in to chat GPT. Now it doesn't know the plot line for um, the G3 series uh, for Gaslamps, Gunsmoke and Gothica, but you would go back in and obviously kind of re-edit it or touch up the prompt or whatever. But here's what it gave me for a marketable social media blurb that would fit the algorithm. Dive into Wyatt M. Sutherland's thrilling new novel, Gas limps, gun smoke, and Gothica, and it has like a little fire emoji right next to it. Unravel a world of Victorian charm, supernatural intrigue, and smoky gunfights as you follow our daring heroes on a riveting adventure. Expect the unexpected as dark secrets and hidden powers are revealed. Don't miss out. Pre-order now and join the hashtag Gothica Adventure. And then it's got like a hat emoji, like a top hat emoji, a crescent moon emoji, and like a comic book pow emoji. And it says hashtag new release, hashtag YM Sutherland. Boom. Holy mother forking shirt balls. The fact that it does the emojis is <laughs> amazing. That is pretty cool. So I feel bad for all of the social media managers out there. <laughs> I feel bad for for even a lot of writers um, who look at this with negativity because there's a lot of writers out there who unfortunately look at this and they think it's going to take their jobs away. It's going to take their livelihood away. But I have to agree with Chris. I think this is a new revolution with not even writers, but artists in general. You know, the rise of AI it gives people a tool to where people who didn't think they could be authors or artists, now they can. So it's going to be really interesting to see in how the market changes with all of that, how it impacts like artistic creativity and integrity and you know, all the fun jazz. All right. So what we need to do now is we need to uh, get a soundboard and be like, Matthew might drop. (laughs) 
what's Matt got to say on this one? Yeah, Matthew, you've been <laughs> terribly silent today. Eh, I'm I'm usually a pretty heavy listener, so when there's a lot of people talking all together, I kind of just sit and I listen and I nod and I'm like, hmm, good point, and I yeah. But anyway. So, I mean, my thoughts on this are obviously it's, again, you know, as long as you're using the tools for the right reasons, there's so much to do with them and they're very practical and they're very easy and intuitive. And I think honestly, it is going to help a lot of people, you know, at least who maybe weren't as interested or confident as before find themselves able to do a lot more than they originally could. But then also, too, when we kind of touched on this last episode, uh, there's that fine line, at least I feel, of artistic integrity of, you know, again, it it can only do what you prompt it to. But at the same time, at a certain point, I feel like it gets a little bit muddled of what exactly is your own and what exactly is AI generated or made by a machine. Night City. It's all machine. We are the machine. Well, on that note, (laughs) I think this is a great stopping point. Um, Guys, let's get together here in like two weeks and uh, we can either continue where we left off here or we can talk about something entirely new. We'll uh, figure it out along the way. Um, Any closing thoughts before we head out? Okay, so I need to edit. I need to edit a cricket sound into that. But okay, perfect. Um, well, if you're a writer, keep on writing. If you're a reader, keep on reading, and we'll talk to you guys next time. See you.